Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Kyle, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you haven't listened to us before, uh, what Trevor and I do is we cover a movie that at least one of us hasn't seen before. Uh, just kind of gets us out of our, our normal funk and gets us to watch movies we don't typically watch. And uh, this month we're doing an anticipation of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, starring two of America, uh, two of America's cocks of the walk, uh, <laughs> Leo and Brad Pitt. Uh, we were kind of wanted to touch on uh, films about films. Um, now, mm-hmm. not this is documentaries about films, not films about films like Hail Caesar or Ed Wood. Um, this is documentaries about films, and I had Trevor since he loves documentaries about films. Uh, I had him watch Hearts of Darkness, which I was surprised he hadn't seen. Uh, uh, Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse from 1991. This is, of course, about uh, the filming of just the filming of Apocalypse Now. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, uh, Trevor, uh, at the top, what, what's your what's your history with uh, Coppola or at least Apocalypse Now? Uh, funny enough, I don't have much of a background with Francis Ford Coppola. Um, I did not see uh, the Godfather trilogy until maybe three or four years ago. Uh, Tom Hanks wow. from You've Got Mail would be very disappointed in me. No kidding. Because uh, yeah, in his book, that makes me not a man. Um, <laughs> but oh, yeah, uh, other than the Godfather films and uh, Apocalypse Now, which I saw maybe when I, I was probably in high school at the time, uh, I think that's, that's about it. I don't have oh and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, um, that's that's actually of all the films of his I've seen, maybe the one that resonates with me the most. Yeah, uh, just because from a visual standpoint, okay. it's entrancing. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> there is a caveat there. Um, the acting is certainly not why you watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, that's um, still good, Gary he, Oldman. Gary Oldman tries. He, he, he tries. He's doing but, um, it. His uh, Romanian accent is not exactly the best. Does he have the um, worst I accent that, in that film? I know film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, No, he is not. <laughs> um, that would probably go to either uh, Keanu or maybe Bill Campbell, because his, his Texan accent is just utterly cartoonish it's... and silly. Um, <laughs> even Anthony Hopkins manages to, like, fuck some things up in that movie and that's saying a lot because he's usually he's usually good to go in any role but he's he's doing some weird stuff in that but the from a visual standpoint some of the editing in that movie is just amazing um and it's just fun to look at um so Coppola is not really high on my list of like big name directors um and like I said I have seen Apocalypse Now a very long time ago and then every other time I've tried to put it on I just haven't been able to finish it, and I've never even touched Redux, so I'm not really in the know when it comes to this guy. <laughs> well, I want to point out that uh, one of one of the things of this show is that Trevor and I both have a genre that we like that is almost unwatchable to anybody not interested in that genre. <laughs> Trevor likes kung fu. He likes movies that have a fourth fighting movie in it. Like it's the fourth movie of the fighting franchise. <laughs> Which to the to just to the normal person, not really something to jump into. Um, I like art house films, and this is quote unquote, I would say, more or less an art house film. It's a big budget art house film by a big name director. Uh, but we, originally, so Coppola uh, 
I'll touch on this. I uh, read about this, or actually, I'm sorry, I, I listened to this uh, audiobook by Robert Evans, The Kid Stays in the Picture. I've mentioned this several times. Um, Coppola was actually uh, hired to do a Godfather film. They wanted to film Godfather film. Robert Evans said that he, we need an Italian-American directing this, and we need Italians in the film. And they're like, well, there are no Italian directors that we can get to direct this. And they're like, well, what about Francis Ford Coppola? And the pushback was that he's not a he's not a big direct like he's not a big name. He's not a guy that wants to take on a big project like this. He's more of an art house guy. He had he put out a couple of I think maybe two or three uh, more or less art house films. And like this isn't the guy. Um, and uh, at Robert Evans, um, he was persistent and he's like, nope, this is the guy I want. And they had a tumultuous relationship. Uh, Coppola ended up putting out a movie. He put out the he shot The Godfather, edited it, and they went into the screening like through the the opening night to see it. And Robert Evans, after watching the, the his original cut, called him. He's like, "Hey, after you're done meeting the press and talking to people, meet me in my office in an hour." And they had a, a meeting and a big argument. And he says, "Re-edit the movie or go back and reshoot it. Make a completely different movie because that was awful." So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he produced that first Godfather film. Now, for this movie, this is uh, this is Coppola. Uh, Coppola uh, received about I think twenty million dollars to film this, and he anything that went over budget, he was going to have to cover. So this is kind of this is his movie. He doesn't have uh, Robert Evans producing it. This was produced by Coppola and a couple of other people, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, this actually did, I was surprised, I thought maybe this was a bomb, but like, no, 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 he still wouldn't be a name if this was a bomb, I would think, because, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, this made 150 million, 150 million at the box office. First and foremost, Coppola is an art house director, and that's what this is, so this is why it's probably harder for you to go back and revisit it, but I've seen this, like I said, no, no less than five times. Well, what's funny is, um, I actually have read Heart of Darkness. I actually haven't, Um, but go ahead. See, see, I, I have, and and I think that was actually part of what prompted me to watch the movie at that point in my life, is I think I had just read the book, and it was like, oh, like this seems like the right time. Um, but a lot of it just had to do with the way it was edited. Uh, it has a, a dreamlike quality to it that it does, like you said, feel like an art house film. And it's, it's a challenging film in that regard, especially among uh, Vietnam films. Because it's there's more to it than just the Vietnam War. Uh, it, it's telling a, a larger story with broader themes that are that are about more than just that particular conflict and that particular point in time. Um, case in point, it's based on a story that has nothing to do with that. <laughs> um, and you know, my my dad was in the Vietnam War, so I grew up with you know a lot of stories of that kind of stuff. So movies like Platoon and like Full Metal Jacket and and to a lesser extent, Apocalypse Now were kind of like important when I was young because it's like you, you kind of want to get a sense of maybe what it would have been like because you, you're trying to relate to your dad and and this was the one that's just like, I don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> Whereas Platoon is like famously, um, I forget where I read it, but there's a good quote about it where it's like, it's not realistic in any in any regard but this is the story of every every soldier in the entirety of the Vietnam War, like compounded into a single two-hour event. So it's 
like no single unit out there experienced all the things that these guys did yeah. but all of them in totality did at some point over the course of like over a decade or whatever um, kind, but kind yeah this like, one this one i was no, saying like wolf of, wolf of wall street uh jonah hill's character wasn't a specific person he embodied several people that were around jordan belfort at the time and that was that was his character he wasn't an actual yeah. person yeah you're you're condensing the story yeah. in, a, in a way that makes it more serviceable to the telling of that particular story it's like you don't need a hundred percent truth because to be honest oftentimes the true story isn't as thrilling as you'd like it to be and if you're making an entertainment product sometimes you gotta change some things um but yeah uh, this one <laughs> I, i'm not surprised it made its money back actually uh, because it uh, i don't know if you mentioned it but it came out in 1979 mm -hmm. and i mean our, our troops had only pulled out of vietnam like a, a few years before so it, w it was very much in the public consciousness and at the time uh, marlon brando's name carried quite a bit of weight yeah and if you've seen the fucking much. poster for this movie it's like yes i will go see that <laughs> like after rewatch like i really want to rewatch apocalypse now i want to i want to rewatch it i've seen it several times but after watching the documentary i'm like it's 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 crazy, like how hard it was, just b between Dennis Hopper and Marlon Brando, like oh my god, just <laughs> just wrangling those two into giving a performance that was hard enough, and yeah, the that, and that was only three weeks, <laughs> and still when you go back and watch this movie, when when Brando's on screen, like it it's a terror, like I've. I genuinely am terrified by this guy. Like it's such a good performance, and I, I think I mentioned like he doesn't really want to be there. He didn't want he didn't want to go. He was trying to get out of it. He didn't want to be there, and I think it that kind of adds to the character a little bit. Like he's kind of trying, not really, and I think it's effective. Well, he has. I mean, he has that that magic quality as an actor that. Just his his even his physiology, like the construction of his face, yeah. the way the way he knows how to fluctuate his tones, the way he positions his hands, the way he, the way he knows where to put his face to match the light. He's just like a born and bred actor in some in some magical way. And some people just have that gravitas. They just have that quality to them that they look amazing on camera and sound amazing on camera. And I got that sense, like some of the <laughs> they're really kind of mean to him in the in the way they cut this documentary because he he is not presented in a flattering light how so um, he's made to look like kind of a clown at times <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it i was just saying i, I like, want to discuss his character a little bit more later like yeah we we have to i mean he's yeah. a big component of the of the making of the film but just even when he's not trying uh he's still better than you know 80% of the people out there just yeah. because he's, he is Marlon Brando. He is Marlon Brando. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here. So uh, filming started in 1976. This was originally supposed to be, um, oh, fat guy. Uh, oh, I can't think. Orson Welles. <laughs> Orson Welles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> if you have not seen that, oh, look up. the French. <laughs> Champagne. Look up Orson Welles' champagne commercial. It is it is gold. It is it is comedy gold, and it's not supposed to be. Um, so yeah, filming started in 1976 in the Philippines. Uh, of course, this is a loose uh, film adaptation, based 
somewhat off of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, uh, which you have read. I have not. It's not a very long film, and actually they're selling it at Barnes & Noble for like three bucks. Uh, almost yeah, picked it's, it up. It's a, it's a pretty breezy read, to be honest. I read it in fucking high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what this, uh, what this consisted of is... I. Uh, Coppola's wife uh, during the fil- during the uh, filming process was uh, taking her own recordings and uh, some sort of a diary, and I mm-hmm. think she was going to turn that into some kind of documentary. Um, but mostly, this documentary is made up of her talking over, and then a lot of like behind the scenes stuff, um, shooting. It, this is like Trevor said, or maybe I I don't remember who said it, but uh, this is all about the shooting of the film. Nothing else, just the shooting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mentioned that before we went on the air, that I thought it was very fascinating that all the entirety of this documentary only covers the shooting of the film, mm-hmm. which was 238 days, yeah. uh, which is fucking insane, uh, especially filming on the other side of the planet in the Philippines, um, while there's a fucking conflict Civil war, yeah. <laughs> um, but what, what I told you before we went on the air was... Uh, you know, the shooting part of the film is actually, like, like the, the smallest part of it, usually. <laughs> so, like, we didn't even touch on the editing. Like, that must have been nuts. Because I've told you also off the air before we... I think, like, right around the time you said you wanted to do this movie for the show is that, like, one of the observations I made about the shooting and the editing of Apocalypse Now is that a lot of it felt like it was very improvised. Like, it was just kind of like he said, let's shoot stuff, mm-hmm. and then I'll, f- like... I'll George Lucas it. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> and, like, like in particular, the helicopter raid sequence, mm-hmm. I feel like they, they just did that sequence a million times, and then he was like, okay, let's cut together. It's like, did you did you know how you wanted it to be? He's like, no. <laughs> it's like, I just, I just wanted to blow shit up until it felt right. It's like, okay. Well, George, and they do actually touch on that later in the, in the documentary, and I was very glad that they did, because that was just my... That was just my impression, mm-hmm. um, and it was confirmed <laughs> later on, and it felt really good to hear that. Um, so yeah, I was going to say, George Lucas mentioned something that about Coppola. He's like, yeah, he likes to film, and then he likes to get stuff along the way. Like, oh, this would be good, oh, this would be good, and then it's hard to he's very, get yeah. the story out of that. He, he's very jazzy. He's very Im- improvisational. But um, I think the what the first shot of this documentary is him at some sort of press conference or mm-hmm. like maybe a, a a speaking event where he's speaking through a translator i think it's french um and he's talking about what it was like to fil- make the film to shoot the film and he's he's uh, comparing it to the experience of actually being in the vietnam war and i i didn't write down the entire quote but it was very candid of him to say and like actually very very interesting because I think the way he phrased it was like, uh, it, "My film was Vietnam. Uh, there were many of us. We had too much money, and little by little, we all went insane." <laughs> yeah, he was saying this isn't a movie about Vietnam. He said that's not what this movie <clears throat> is. Um, so yeah, so uh, originally in 1939, Orson Welles was meant to um, to direct the film as his debut, uh, but I guess that it was just going to be too complicated at the time, so he did. Uh, that big one, uh, Citizen Kane. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, that you know that one. <laughs> that one, that one movie. Uh, that one movie with that one guy that did all the things. And it was actually uh, shelved for many years, and it came across uh, to Coppola, and uh, he actually had a thirteen million dollar budget that was raised by him. Uh, he had to find his own investors, 
And if it went over budget, he was responsible, and he actually put up his house and assets uh, as collateral uh, for this film as well. So he was literally yeah, all uh, in on this. Oh yeah, no, this was his baby, like beginning to end. Uh, this was his gamble, and and he would suffer all the consequences if it didn't go his way. Um, yeah, the Orson Welles one was really fascinating because they right? did mention that early in the documentary, and apparently they shot test footage of him as. I love his pronunciation, or his pronunciation, uh, Kurtz. Colonel Kurtz. It's, he, doesn't say, he doesn't say Kurtz, he says Kurtz, like Kurtz. Um, Orson Welles is a fascinating person. I want to watch <laughs> that documentary, that, that newest documentary about him. I, I would love to see it because I've seen tons of interviews with him, and he is just a fascinating person. He, he, I feel like he was acting every moment of his life. Very possible. Just for shits and giggles. Well, because he would do he would do cold reading, so he'd just like fuck with people. <laughs> well, he'd like pretend to be like psychic and stuff, mm. and it was just like a fun game for him. And I feel like even his speech pattern—it's that weird like mid-Atlantic thing. Where mm-hmm. It's like that's not a that's not a regional accent. That's like made up. <laughs> like that's like between British and, and American. Like that's that doesn't exist. <laughs> and he's like from the he's like from like Wisconsin, I think. Is he? But he had yeah. like a John F. Kennedy mid Atlantic. Yeah, he he had he had a very Kennedy as he had a very particular speech pattern, and like I said, he says "kuts" or something every time. Anyway, um, the test footage like they had some some screen captures of it, and it looked kind of cool. And they had like a, a mock up of a set where where Kurtz's compound was going to be, and it, like they were pretty far along in pre production. But uh, the important note was that the studio pulled out because of uh, financial concerns. They're like, this seems too grand, and we don't know that this will make its money back, Um, which is telling. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) this project in 1939 uh, seems too grand and doesn't seem like it's going to make us any money. Um, 30 years later, somebody else grabs it and says, oh, no, that's not going (laughs) to happen. But um, we'll be fine. (laughs) Also important is that uh, Coppola... So Coppola founded this production group called, uh, I think they call it American Zoetrope in the, uh, in the documentary, but it's listed online as Omni Zoetrope, so maybe it changed its name at some point. But the idea was this was supposed to be like an indie production house. Mm-hmm. Like, that was his dream, is that even, like, the, his closing remarks in this documentary Oh, I love his that. closing. He, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, he... He believes in filmmaking as an art form as opposed to a business mm-hmm. uh, deal. Um, so his dream was to have his own production company that would produce all sorts of indie films and stuff. And this was supposed to be, Apocalypse Now, was supposed to be like his his big like coming out party. This was supposed to be like, hey, American Zoetrope, come join the fun. Uh, and then uh, some stuff happened. But um, he was supposed to start shooting in 1969. Um, which, right, right from the get-go, as soon as I heard that number, I was like, <laughs> "You're yeah. not gonna make this movie in 1969." Not overseas. Like, we're still or... at war. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're still at war for another like six years, buddy. <laughs> maybe on ten acres of Hawaii, like maybe you can do it there, but that's about it. No, I, I forget where I learned this this factoid, but um, I think the Green Berets, uh, the John Wayne movie about, I think it was the Air Cav guys, was the only Vietnam War movie actually released during the war. Oh. And of course it was a fucking John Wayne movie because 
rah yeah. rah go America. Um, and that tells you a lot about what this like cultural climate was in regards to the war is that we don't want to talk about it right now. <laughs> like, give it some time to breathe. I watched a documentary about news coverage of the Vietnam War and during that time they were just telling people, yeah, things are going good, things are going good. Meanwhile, things were not going well. And well, yeah, talking to my parents, the way they put it was that this was like one of the first times that you saw kind of like a bit more candid view of what was going on, and it was it was kind of impossible to to deny that. Oh wait, like guys are dying, and we don't really know why, and this feels wrong in some regard. But yeah, in 1969, shooting a movie like this that has such a a dim view on humanity, it's like, no, I'm sorry, but good good luck with that. There's a really funny Dana Carvey uh, sketch on SNL when he did H.W. Uh, Bush, and oh. <laughs> he's like, "Do you? We all remember the, the the lesson we learned in Vietnam: stay out of Vietnam." <laughs> the lesson that we learned. <laughs> Oh, um, other really important detail. Uh, George Lucas was supposed to direct this film. Yeah, uh, I think Coppola approached him. Uh, he's like, "Listen, yeah. I want you to go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fund this. I want you to go shoot it." And Lucas is like, eh, "I'm not really a good yeah. director. Uh, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really I'm that great no of a Francis. director. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna... sorry. I'm not. I'm, I'm not that good of a director, Francis. I'm gonna. Di- I'm sorry. Listen, Francis. I'm gonna direct four Star Wars movies. One of them will be really good, and then uh, <laughs> the other three will be gar- absolute hot garbage. Yeah." He was like, no, I, I think I want to make this movie about hot rods. I think hot rods are, I think is hot that what, rods are what, what the kids are into these days. Is that days. what he did during this time? Was the Hot Rods documentary or whatever? I think it was, um, well, THX 1138 was his indie film that became a feature. And then uh, I don't remember what was well, before it Star out, Wars? But, uh, American Graffiti was, was the hot rod movie. IT, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to talk about Vietnam. I, I just want to, I just want to talk about hot rods. <laughs> episode, episode four came out in '77, correct? Oh yeah, he had plenty of downtime. <laughs> well, filming, he could have th- done it. This started in 1976. Like he hadn't started. It. I can't remember. Ith something. I don't. Oh, fucking. thx. Thx. Yeah. One one three eight. That was probably what he was doing during this time. Or yeah. Bef- yeah. And, and American Graffiti sometime in between. But, yeah, uh, yeah the, the point is, um, if I remember right, uh, George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, and the single most dynamic, important person in this documentary who I was so goddamn happy to see, John Milius. Oh, John Milius, um, yeah. All went to, all went to uh, film school together. Yeah. So they were, they were, like, all buddies, and they would all, like, work on each other's stuff together. Uh, John Milius. Um, you said Spielberg too, right? He's in that. He's yes, in that camp. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's in there too. Um, John Milius, though, uh, makes an appearance in this documentary. And uh, when we were picking our movies for this month, he has a documentary just called Milius. I almost picked that Ooh. Uh, because that is it's good, and John Milius is an amazing human being. He's like John Peters dialed up to eleven. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I don't know. John Peters is his own thing. Uh. John Milius would, I mean, I would pay so much money. Like, so they have, like, bare-knuckle fighting contests happening on pay-per-view nowadays. I don't know oh, if you're nice. aware of that. I'm not aware of that. Um, um, some people, I, some, like, fighters I actually 
am aware of, like some boxers and MMA guys that are actually kind of name people are doing it now. <laughs> um, I would pay a lot of money to see like a young John Milius and a young John Peters go at it. <laughs> I mean, that Kenny Rogers hair versus John Milius and his surfer bod, like, <laughs> that'd be great. Um, but yeah, John Milius was to write the script, and in fact, he did write a version of the script. Um, however, it was heavily supplemented by Coppola himself, uh, because Milius... Um, he did Conan. Like, I don't know. How I was gonna say he did. I know he did. He wrote Conan, yes. the Barbarian. Um, he he is a specialized tool. Mm -hmm. um, if you want that style of writing, there's no one better. But if you want Apocalypse Now writing, if you want it to be more dimensioned and more uh, worldly, he's not the guy. <laughs> so I can see why why they needed to tweak things later. Um, um, so yeah. So this is after the first two Godfather movies um, and. Coppola had worked with Marlon Brando, so he wanted Marlon Brando to play Colonel Kurtz. Um, and my notes when I have Brando down, I go, fucking Brando. Um, <laughs> Marlon Brando wanted $3 million for three weeks of work, and uh, I believe he wanted a million dollars to read the script, and Coppola sent him a million dollars just as like a like a, a marker, like, yes, here's the million dollars, I want you to do the movie, like, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we take care of it. Um, put a pin in Brando. Uh, so <laughs> he was supposed to be losing weight, and he was supposed to read Hearts of Darkness, or Heart of Darkness, uh, from what I understand. Uh, but we'll, we'll find out <laughs> about that later. Um, so yeah. this is going to be shot in the Philippines. Uh, Coppola is actually in direct contact with the Filipino president at the time, and he's like, "I want to, I want to use your air, I want to use your helicopters, uh, possibly some of your guys." And he's like, yeah, you can totally do that. But there's a civil war going on right now. And uh, I might need to use my helicopters from time to time. And they're like, oh, yeah, t t no, no, no problem. No, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're totally on the same page here. Not, not a problem. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. What, uh, what I have next in my notes is this was fascinating. So uh, they get stuff going. Like they have that nice little like first day of shooting. They're like, all right, guys, everybody circle up. We're going to – you got to – Say this thing three times, and then we say something. I don't know what it was, uh, but it was supposed oh, to be good luck. Pu pu puaba. puaba. I, I don't know what it means, but I had the subtitles on, so I, I saw that it was written out Puaba. I was assuming it was yeah, Italian yeah. slang. I'm not sure. Uh, Could be. I don't know. But the, the ritual was uh, Coppola has all the crew uh, touch each other. Yeah. So, like, just for form a human chain with each other. Just make some form of contact. And then everybody shouts Puaba three times. And then it's to bless the production in, in some way. Um, needs to be said, uh, Lucas admonished uh, Coppola, like, with the notion of going out to the Philippines oh, for yeah. an extended shoot. He was like, I don't know, Francis. That doesn't seem like a good idea. See, it, I think it's kind of humid there. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, he's not going to. It's like, yeah, you should, you should bring lots of socks. I think it's kind of humid. Coppola is not afraid to pop that shirt off, man. I I love his confidence. <laughs> he, oh, yeah, no, he, he's got that gut hanging out. He and does like not half give a fuck. Yeah. Half of the yeah, I know if you're if you're gonna be a fat greasy guy, like you gotta just live in it. Like, yeah, you, you gotta embrace it, and he's great at it. And he lost like thirty I pounds think, just moving there because it was so hot. Yeah, he did a he did a Peter Jackson on a uh, King Kong. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but when Peter Jackson was uh, doing all the, he was doing like a a blog about the filming of King Kong, and it, it was part of why a lot of people like 
to this day really love him as a filmmaker is because combination of the Lord of the Rings like supplemental oh, yeah. features on the DVDs and uh, the you making of King Lord of the Rings, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it just like he he's maybe one of the most transparent filmmakers there are. Yeah, as opposed to like say Christopher, Christopher Nolan, Nolan or Quentin yeah. Tarantino. Tarantino also. Tarantino doesn't do commentaries as far as I know, and uh, he he believes in cinema as magic. I remember this one interview where he was saying, uh, like, film film in and of itself is a magic trick because technically you're not even seeing motion. You're seeing still images being put through light at 24 frames a second which is magic to him and anyway he he and christopher nolan are both known as people who are very guarded when it comes to sharing oh i can tell you tarantino's secret you want to know what tarantino's secret is he's like he writes a script that he can drop the n-bomb in and then bam we got to film it that's that's how he does (laughs) movies will it fit will it fit we're doing it. That's I'm kind of curious to see if that's the case with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh my I, god! I don't think absolutely. You're, I don't think you're wrong. I will I mean, bet you. Period, yeah. I will bet you my next paycheck that there will be an end bomb <laughs> in that movie. Without, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. I will not. I will not take you up on that bet. Um, oh gosh. But um, another really important thing was that. Oh, I just wanted to say that Coppola is. Uh, shirtless and sub like half submerged in water in in virtually like about half of this documentary <laughs> like every chance he gets he's like waist deep in water that's why they're um, having meetings because it's so hot like just go stand in the water dude it's too fucking hot like yeah and the reason um why uh he was buddy buddy with uh ferdinand marcos the president of the philippines at the time kind of a controversial figure um it's because the U.S. Army refused to back the film because uh, they did not like the way it represented the armed forces mm. uh, and and the Vietnam War, um, which is why he needed to contract the services of the Philippine Army to make use of their equipment and stuff. Uh, so, again, it just emphasizes the point. He was very much on his own. Because <laughs> yeah. um, like, if you look at a lot of movies these days produced um, that require military hardware and stuff it's like oh yeah the military's paying for half the film with you know with the caveat being that's like you got to make us look kind of good oh yeah absolutely it's just advertising (laughs) yeah yeah like like the transformers films are maybe the biggest examples and of course battleship wouldn't have wouldn't have been made if not for the support of the u.s navy of course um big huge detail though is that uh when we arrive in the philippines Harvey Keitel mm-hmm. is cast as our lead, and uh, he's there at the first day of filming. And uh, I don't—I think he makes it like a week. <laughs> he made it a month. I think they made a it month. a month into shooting. It was—they had shot quite a bit with him. Like they had—that's why it was like it's a huge deal because they had to start all over. Like they, it actually set him back. I think a month. Um, but before that, I wanted to mention this before I forget because they mentioned it before first day of shooting. Um, they were constructing before they started shooting a temple made out of mm-hmm. 300 pound blocks, and they also employed about 600 people. Uh, the majority, well over the like a huge amount, were actually locals. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're the one guy was like, I don't know if it was bad at the time or whatever, but we were paying these guys like a dollar a day. He's like. I didn't want to exploit them or whatever, but you know, that's just that's just how we did it to get done. The the producer, whoever he was, I remember saying Dean that. Dean Tavares, he's the production designer. But did, th- he did very good work. Yes. But, the three hundred expensive blocks. <laughs> yeah, um you get to see some 
footage of them actually constructing the yeah. the temple set, and it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. A lot of the sets in this movie are oh. pretty fucking spectacular. Yeah, they are. They don't even talk about that was like the only set construction that we really touched like touched on. We talk about being destroyed, but not really actually being like constructed. I mean, I would have been curious to see the USO set, like how how they built that because that that, that, that it, was nuts. That, that is my least. Is nuts. That's my least favorite part of the movie. Uh, it it just it's really weird. Like even for a movie that's weird, it's just like really weird. I I don't I don't um, like that. I think it's telling that the last time I put this movie on, that was where I stopped. Yeah, so that'll... it's just like this is going on way too long. I I have shit to do. <laughs> yeah, that's, you just cut that out right away because it does nothing to the story. Um, yeah. Um, so who did we get to replace Harvey Keitel? Marty Sheen, uh, <laughs> President Kennedy. Oh, you haven't seen Goonies. Never mind. Um, yeah, Marty Sheen, who uh, just turned. He was thirty-five, about to turn thirty-six. And one of the first things they, he says on here is like, yeah, I was smoking three packs a day. And he's like, I wasn't feeling healthy. I wasn't feeling young, you know. I'm like, yeah, because you're smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. Christ <laughs> almighty. That is ridiculous. And he's like five foot. <laughs> he's like yeah, 130 he's a, he's a tiny guy. He's small. Yeah. Uh, def- I definitely, um, I, I like Martin Sheen's performance here. I think that's a better choice choice than Harvey Keitel. I'm not big on Harvey Keitel. He doesn't really do much for me. Uh, he's never really had a moving performance for me. He's just kind of there. I unfortunately haven't seen like his his big headlining movies because he has great performances on his resume. I just haven't seen them. Um, I know folks from my like my parents' age range have an appreciation for him that I don't. Um, I'm never, I'm never unhappy to see no. him. But like I said, I haven't seen his best work, so I can't judge. Because like Bad Lieutenant is apparently a remarkable performance from him. Mm. Um, and then I can't remember. He plays an ambulance driver. I forget what the name of the movie was, but and of course in Taxi Driver he has a small role but impactful. He plays I think Sport is his name. Yeah, <laughs> the the pimp with the uh, the the weird eyeball ring. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, he's he's like proto gary oldman from a true romance or something oh no that's that's the best pimp that's the best film yeah, pimp ever. the best pimp would <laughs> <best> <laughs> you sit um, down have yourself an egg roll yeah that's pretty good that was pretty good wasn't it <laughs> yeah that's pretty good you should develop that <laughs> that's one of my favorite oldman performances honestly because it's it's just so wacky it's it's one of the weirdest things i've ever seen um, but yes, Mar- Marty Sheen is going to be taking over instead of Harvey Keitel. Yeah, uh, he will be taking over as our protagonist. Uh, was it Captain Willard? Yeah. Uh, so I think the documentary jumps here to like one of the more famous sequences in the movie, uh, the filming of it rather, um, the helicopter raid with yeah. uh, Colonel Kilgore, Robert Duvall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's laid out very clearly that this is the like logistically the single most complicated thing Coppola maybe ever did in his career. I think it's the influence um, for the beginning of Tropic Thunder too. It seems along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but if you've seen the sequence, um, I mean the footage we got in the finished product uh, speaks for itself. It's, this is a monumental it, sequence. It's, it's gigantic. Yeah, it's, it's huge. epic. Um, this is the equivalent of like some Cleopatra shit or like Ben Hur, like just the amount of <laughs> the amount of stuff, moving parts on on screen for each shot of the sequence is just like oh fuck, like how did you guys do that? It's like well, uh, it took several weeks, yeah. And apparently every fucking helicopter pilot in the Philippine army, because uh, 
uh, there's a note here that they were switching out pilots pretty much like mm -hmm. on the daily because they kept getting called away to fight the rebels in mm -hmm. the south. <laughs> like so, <laughs> he's having um, to re-explain yeah, it, and they're like messing up, and he's getting super frustrated. I mean, as you would. Yeah. So the. These are supposed to be choreographed like flybys yeah. with pyrotechnics, and these guys, you know, it would be nice if you could have a dedicated stunt pilot who can memorize the sequence and just. I keep mean, doing any it. any filmmaker is going to ask you to do it again, do it again, do it again. If you're getting a new guy every day, you can't tell him to do it again. You have to teach him the whole thing front to back, and he's probably going to fuck it up a few times. And every time you do one of these runs, you're using pyrotechnics and you're having to reconstruct sets. Uh, there goes your budget. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, this was really interesting to see them filming this because this was where it started to become reinforced. Um, my my notion of Coppola just likes to point and shoot because <laughs> a lot of these flybys, I was just like, I don't hear him telling them what. I don't feel that he really knows what he's trying to get here. He's just watching and seeing what happens and then saying, "Do it again." <laughs> well. I think he's he's taking the approach of just keep shooting this, like just keep shooting, but he's taking it to shots of pyrotechnics. Like that that's kind of hard to do there, buddy. You kind of have to know exactly how you want it executed. You don't want to keep shooting that. The Philippines need trees. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, man. You can't keep exploding. You can't keep blowing things up here. I did like where he they were like uh they're like, "Yeah, they're all leaving." He's like, "Where are they going?" Like they got called back and he's just like so that's it? Like, they're just like flying away. <laughs> and he's just like, that, so that's all? And he, they have a, the next shot is him just kind of sitting there like, well, what the fuck do we do now? Like, this is what yeah. we're supposed to do today. Um, I forget exactly where it comes in, but I have a pretty amazing quote from him uh, that, in that involves the words fuck and what the fuck. <laughs> mm. He has some great what the fucks in this documentary. He, uh, I actually, like, I feel like he's uh, not a bad guy to work with. Like he's no, no, absolutely he's not, not. He's not like Michael Bay, like the beginning of the set, like everybody top your fucking phones, like yelling at people. Like they, they've I've seen clips of him like behind the scenes, like well, not even a nice guy. Tarantino. Like his, I know this production, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I know he has a no cell phone rule. Oh yeah, you will be fired. Oh, you absolutely. will be fired I'm, if I see you with a cell phone. I'm for I'm for it. I'm not I'm not against it. And it just Coppola just he gives off a good like he's he's a passionate director. Like he he is very Italian. <laughs> like from a stereotypical standpoint, he is very Italian. Mm. He's very passionate. He's very loose. Uh, he likes to have a lot of people around him. Uh, there, I mean we I've mentioned it before on the air. The the wedding scene from Godfather Two is so goddamn long <laughs> but i feel like maybe that's his reality like mm -hmm. maybe that's that's what life is to him because even the filming of this movie there are so many like parties and shit that they do and like even the the little bit of footage we get of him on when they're on hiatus when he's back at his house yeah i was gonna of course he has a big fucking party yeah. he's like yeah, <laughs> i'm stressed as hell about shooting but won't you guys come over we're gonna have uh we're gonna yeah have a it, it's like you know it when you think of like stereotypical italian family it's like a lot of times yeah. it's like family gatherings i didn't dinners and parties and stuff i didn't notice all the little parties they had throughout the production but i think that was a good thing like you you have to keep it's so hot you, need you gotta to do keep that. morale yeah. up yeah no, you absolutely need to do that. Like I, I he was like, I'd like I like from what I can gather, I like his style. 
he does seem like he might be. He's not like a Stanley Kubrick like a uh, uh, perfectionist oh, yeah. that has to take it like sixty or eighty times until he's like, yeah, yeah you know, I had it on the third one. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. Well, and there, like more importantly, a little bit later, we see that he he has like an Ed Wood kind of relationship with his actors. Um, Ed Wood, like the the sense I got from him is that he was enamored with all of his performers. Um, listening to James Gunn on his director's commentaries, I noticed he does this thing where everybody he works with he he refers to as his friend. Um, he doesn't refer to them as actors or like crew members or DPs or whatever. It's just my friend Dave Batista, my friend Chris Pratt, my friend the DP or whatever. And I get the sense that Coppola has that kind of relationship with the people he works with. Is that he's he's very chummy, and mm-hmm. he, he listens to his actors. He wants he wants to bounce ideas off of them, whereas someone else like Kubrick or somebody probably has the shot, the movie, the each inflection of dialogue already like pre-plotted in his head. It's like you are failing to match my vision, <laughs> whereas Coppola is like. I don't quite, it's hazy for me, so I need you to help me find it. Um, and yeah, he does seem like he'd be a lot of fun to work with, especially if you're a, a talented like actor that likes to take chances, because he'd probably fucking let you. <laughs> he just seems like he would be very understanding. He just seems like he'd be a good boss in general. He'd be very understanding. He would try yeah, to accommodate yeah. for you. He just seems like a, a, a sweet guy. He just seems like a sweet guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, oh. So I think, I think the uh, documentary pops back to Milius for a second, to John Milius, who wrote the original oh, yeah. draft of the script. And he, he draws a comparison uh, between Apocalypse Now and uh, The Odyssey. I, and he he says Colonel Kilgore is the Cyclops, and the, the pinups from the USO show are the Sirens, and that's mm-hmm. about as far as he goes with the analogy. But uh, I thought that was really fascinating because it does come up a little later. Like Coppola does make a similar comparison, although he calls it uh, the idiotic Idiotacy? Idiotacy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at this point, um, John Milius uh, gives us like a really juicy tidbit of information uh, about an original ending for this film, which is radically different from what we got. Um, do you remember this? Uh, no, I remember saying that there was a different ending. What was it? Okay, so Kurtz, uh, Colonel Kurtz, and uh, Captain Willard, uh, they're together at Kurtz's compound, and uh, they fight off a horde of Viet Cong. Oh yes. Uh, okay. So there. So like, imagine like a Bunker Hill type situation or something. Like it's like oh, it's like the Alamo or some shit. Yeah. Um. And then, what happens is a, a bunch of Americans show up to like extract them, and they they start fighting the Americans. They start like shooting at like a helicopter or something. And then we have a. This is like the most John Milius fucking speech you'll ever hear. <laughs> um. So Kurtz says, we fight for the land that's under our feet, gold that's in our hands, women that worship the power in our loins. I summon fire from the sky. Do you know what it means to be a white man who can summon fire from the sky? What it means? You can live or die for these things, not silly ideals that are always betrayed. What do you fight for, Captain? And then Willard says, because it feels good. Yeah, that was. I remember him saying that. Now <laughs> I was like, "That's." I mean, that's a pretty spectacular ending to like a grindhouse movie. Yeah, but, this but not, not apocalypse not this now. <laughs> not apocalypse now. No, and I'm not a huge fan of the ending of this movie either. And I know that Coppola is not. He's not not a fan of the ending. That was his big thing. He's like, "I don't have a fucking ending." He's like, "I've got this movie I've shot." And he's like, "I have no ending." 
and um, yeah. I don't know how I would have ended it, or if he has another way, if he's thought of another way. Like the day, it, uh, like the day it hit theaters, he's like, "Fuck, I know my ending now. <laughs> it's too late to do though." <laughs> Uh, well, I I don't know. Did they did they change anything about the ending for Redux? No, it's the same. No, okay. Uh, um, so, Brando at this point is threatening to drop out of the project. Yeah, this uh, is a very after after his yeah. This is like a Troy after his Duffy. one million dollar advance. <laughs> this is like Troy Duffy on the phone with Harvey Har- Har- Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> like yeah, and uh, listening to Francis freak out is pretty spectacular. Yeah. Uh, he's a nice yeah, guy, but he uh, definitely has. A, he he can definitely turn it up. But he's he's just like if I can't get Brando, I'll get Pacino. If I can't get Pacino, I'll get. He just name drops all these different guys. He's like, I'll find somebody else to do it. But well, that's I, what's funny is like we're early enough in this production hell. Again, this went on for two hundred and thirty-eight days yeah. <laughs> um, of work days. Uh, who knows <laughs> if that includes weekends and holidays? <laughs> that's not including the two-month break. I think. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it is. Um, so we're early enough in this production hell that uh, he still has some of that hubris. He still has a bit of swagger. Yeah. And, like, you need to remember, this man is coming off Godfather 1 and 2. Big deal. Yeah. And he's financing this gigantic production himself. If he's, he's a, he is a force to be reckoned with in Hollywood at this point in time. If, if you're a young listener and you don't know the significance of the Godfather movie, go to the internets, type in greatest <laughs> movies of all time. If it doesn't fall in the top three movies, you're looking at a wrong list because I think next to Citizen Kane, it is considered one of the greatest movies of all time. It's a big deal, and oh, it was yeah. a huge deal at the time. Oh, yeah, it was gigantic. So, like, for him to have this reaction is not unreasonable. Where he's just like, oh, if I can't get Brando, I've got I've got friends in high places. He's I like, can I, make this listen, shit work. Listen, I've got the biggest dick in the world, okay? I can get whoever I want. <laughs> I'm sorry, his, his voice is going to sound kind of like a frantic Mark Wahlberg to me, because he's, like, he's got an enunciation about him. Yeah, he, he, does, he does enunciate. In a, he has those big lips that he, help with it, you know? Big lips and big teeth. Um, he's just, he's just, his mouth doesn't... You, 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 <laughs> You think I wear way. these baggy? Sh- you think I wear these baggy shorts for no reason? For no reason. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's exactly. I'm packing right. a giant hog here. I got a giant <laughs> hog. It hits my knee, and it's thick like a. That's coke why can. I'm submerged in the water all the time. I that's gotta like, keep it cool. My coke <laughs> can and I. It's sweaty if, down there. If we don't, if we don't get Brando, we'll get Al Pacino. Ah, I can't. He named several people. I'm like, no. Like, we'll get no, some other Italian no, guy no. with a much smaller dick than me. <laughs> but he, he names off all these big name actors i'm like no none of them would have i don't i don't know what colonel kurtz was like in the book and i would assume that brando's interpretation of the character is not what it is in the book because he haven't he hadn't read it marlon brando's performance is good and i think it fits perfectly into the mood of the film Anybody, if you put out, I'm sorry, I'm not an Al Pacino fan. I'm not a big fan, and this is before he started screaming a lot. But this could have been the movie where he started screaming a lot. Uh, yeah, he, Al Pacino would have been a terrible choice. Uh, absolutely um, horrible. Like even from a physical standpoint, he just doesn't, he doesn't look right. He doesn't seem right. It, I mean, actually, on some level, that may have been like poignant or something, where it's like you spend. The entirety of this film leading up to finding this person then it's just this well, little gremlin man because <laughs> kurtz was supposed to be super skinny he's just been living yeah, yeah. and if 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 he would have said, would do that that's what i'm saying he, he would, would lose he would the weight show up shave his head if they were to like 
I, I think Brando just had a bald head at the time, but that would have been kind of cool if Pacino came in weighing like 120 pounds, like just just scrawny and just still give like a like a, a scary performance like that. It could have been interesting. I'll take that back. It might not have been bad. I mean, it it could have been interesting, like just in the sense that he's a he's a man of small stature to begin with. And like I said, you, there's a lot of lead up, and then the big reveal is that oh, he, it's Gollum, like it's, it's <laughs> it's this little gremlin little man guy. in a cave. Yeah, um, I I don't think it would have been as striking though as we, what we got with Brando. And Brando has he has that way about him. Like you said, I do think it is a good performance, even uh, though they <laughs> they had to shoot him in shadow for <laughs> for I, a certain reason. <laughs> so let's let's it, take... that's effective though. That's effective. Okay, so then. We've got uh, we've got a big problem happens in May of 1979. We get oh, some 76, 79, is it? Oh yeah, you're right. It's 76. My bad. Um, May of uh, Shit. 1976. <laughs> uh, we get some heavy rain, and I, I when I first watched this, I started laughing because I started thinking about Forrest Gump, and I'm like, oh my god, that- Forrest Gump hadn't come out yet. He didn't know about the weather in the, in the South Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wasn't in Vietnam. How could he have known? He doesn't know. He has no. Do you think the locals were just like standing around, like, yeah, I hope he's done soon because it's about to hit the fan, bro? So yeah, a typhoon rolls in and it just fucks up everything. Um, he does actually get some shots that are in the movie. Uh, they said that they weren't oh. in the movie, but in the Redux, um, there's some. Um, Oh no, it's it's in the regular uh, film, like with the tiger. Um, they go to one of the sets that was destroyed. It ends up being uh, something that they go to uh, on the boat. It's only a few mm-hmm. scenes, but he, he makes use of it. But ultimately, uh, they have to do a t- uh, they have to take a break because they just can't get anything done. The, they they can't do any helicopter shots. They can't do any explosions, and it's just it's just too hectic. So he gives everybody a two month break. Yeah. So. We're closing down production for two months because we need to rebuild all of our sets that yeah. were washed away and damaged because of the typhoon. Um, and you can tell that Coppola is disappointed with this because I, we have a lot of like archival interviews with all the cast and crew that yeah. worked on this film that were, that were filmed several years after production. Um, and everybody said that, yeah, Coppola was like pretty pretty into the idea of filming during the typhoon yeah and like you said they they did actually go out and do a lot of scenes and uh i got the sense that a lot of the actors weren't terribly happy about that no. larry fishburn in particular who was 14, 14 at the time larry fishburn yeah he was a baby <laughs> and he's in a fucking typhoon on the other side of the planet <laughs> that's nuts he but, was he, I, I liked his character in the movie too it was it was good oh yeah he was great and it was neat seeing uh, some of the interview footage with him, especially, like, I think there's only one clip of it, but it's him, like, during the production. Yeah. And you see that it's like, holy shit, he is, like, 14. A baby, uh, yeah. He, well, yeah. I mean, he's still taller than me, but he's yeah. a baby. <laughs> no, but, like, the way he was talking, like, he was actually talking in terms of, like, oh, yeah, I, I knew people who were in the war and stuff. Yeah. And, like, he, he sounded like a child. It was really interesting. He but, cusses a lot. Um, <laughs> he does. He does. Like, Damn, he's saying a lot of curse words. He's 14. Um, but at this point, we get uh, a bit of insight into Coppola's feelings on the script, which from day one, I think, may have been problematic for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it again, it speaks to his uh, kind of improvisational style of, of filming. Uh, we get to see him like 
just in a kitchen or something pounding away at a, a typewriter and he he wants to throw out John's script he's using it as a as a foundation but he wants to throw it out and he actually verbalizes to his wife who is documenting this like he's lost and he doesn't know how to make this film work and I think this is where he coins the term the idiocy um, and like you had mentioned like not only did he not have an ending the entire film like he has he has note cards this is like mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw the uh, the uh, Julianne Moore um, was it? it's called Game Changer it's about the it's about the, the gal from Alaska <laughs> a politician I can't remember her name oh uh, Sarah Palin oh no um, uh, it's it, you need to see if you see Black Swan you need to see Perfect Blue and if you see Perfect Blue and Black Swan you should probably watch Game Changer because <laughs> okay. there are a lot of similarities between them but anyway uh, the big thing that they threw out there with Sarah Palin was that um, she could memorize anything like if you gave her a speech she could memorize it um, but she had to do it her way um, and when she was struggling to actually learn facts, she would write them on note cards. And it was just like stacks and stacks and stacks of note cards. So if you were to walk in and flip through this, it would look like like a room from the movie Seven, where it's just like, oh, God, like this is madness. And that's what Coppola has in front of him, is just stacks and stacks of note cards of just scenes, and like he's trying to reposition them and make sense of them. So he... He is, I don't know how how many years or, or, or whatever he's into filming this movie, but he doesn't even know what the fuck he's doing at this point. And he's about to go on hiatus for two months. Well, this is... So a, you, you better fucking figure it out. This is entirely different than than um, The Godfather. The Godfather is, there's a, a there's rich source material that they're working from. It's a book. So he's doing a, a film adaptation of a book, and it's all talking. This is, it's, it's a... It's mostly a dialogue movie. It's just it's a lot of talking. This is almost the exact opposite. It's a, mm-hmm. I mean, Godfather's a lot of interior shots. There's very few, um, like like I think the Meadowlands. We've got um, Sonny's death, the fight. I mean, there's not a lot like outside. It's a lot of inside stuff. And this is yeah. the a polar opposite. This is not a lot of talking, and this is a visual. This is a visual film. I, the only per- I think the person who talks the most is uh oh god damn it I think uh. I want to say it's not Robert Redford, but uh, I can't think of his name. I'm Robert jo- Duvall. Yeah, Robert Duvall. There we go. I keep- and he's only he's only in a small chunk of the movie too. Yeah, but and he's I- he's the most verbose of all the characters. Though. Yeah, so I can see how he's out of his comfort zone. Well, first of all, he's completely out of his comfort zone. He's in the Philippines. It's crazy hot. Um, he's having yeah. tr- like. I think for somebody of his stature at this time, things would be easier. Like, think about how easy it is for probably Steven Spielberg to do a movie. He's got his people. He knows exactly what he wants from everything, and he just goes in there. He might run into a few speed bumps here and there, but I don't think he's accustomed to this many speed bumps. And that's a huge problem if the source material is not what you want. I'm, I'm assuming Melius wanted... He was doing, like, a Vietnam movie, and he's using the book to do a Vietnam movie. Whereas Coppola's like, no, 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 we're trying to capture... I think he was trying to capture a mood. The, the 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 it's supposed to capture the oddness of what was happening, not trying to glamorize it. And I think maybe Melius oh, yeah. was trying to glamorize Milius, it. Melius is Teddy Roosevelt in a different era. Like, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like that's that's probably if you were to ask him who he idolized most in this world, it would probably be like 
some sort of ancient general or something. Yeah, most or likely. Teddy Roosevelt. He would do shit up real quick. Who was yeah. in the armed forces at some point. Yeah. And he, he idolizes that type of... Patton. Like, he would ultra- say Patton or something. Yeah, actually, something like that. Like an ultra-masculine man. Yeah, a man's man. And, yeah, if, if, you, if you give him the reins to a war film... I mean, this is the guy who wrote Red Dawn. Um, <laughs> like, he will give you that. He'll give you those rah-rah, yeah, like, awesome explosions and cool shit because he he just wants to have those like awesome herculean speeches and stuff um but like you said that's not what coppola had in mind in fact like the fucking title of the book heart of darkness yeah. <laughs> like that's the that's supposed to be the core of the story is that this is a journey into the heart of the darkness well, of a human being were there ever any films prior to this that actually touched on war as a subject where the characters aren't really into it like they're not like gung-ho it's like they're kind of just like i don't know what we're doing out here like platoon kind of touches on it where they all have their own kind of like yeah i think platoon i think platoon was after but deer hunter oh it's absolutely it's much much later um but yeah deer hunter but that's kind of that's kind of i wouldn't i wouldn't classify deer hunters that there are aspects of it i get where you're coming from but this is a fully fledged Mm. like we're in a war zone and Mm. when movies prior to this if you're in a war zone it's 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 a combat movie like that that's yeah this is not that movie and this might have been besides the deer hunter probably the earliest adaptation of a, a war film that wasn't actually a war film well, yeah. I mean, this is a this is about madness. Yeah. It's not about it's not about the thrill of combat. It's about the insanity that comes from being in this this situation. Um, and there's tons of scenes in the movie that reflect that. Like, even the USO show. It's like mm-hmm. that's this is just a fervor. That's like the, we're no longer people at this point. We're just apes. We're yeah. Just angry apes. Angry horny apes with guns. <laughs> um, so at this point, um. Coppola had one of he has many good quotes in this movie unfortunately he he talks so fucking fast he couldn't write it all down (laughs) (laughs) there's one point he's he's doing an on-set interview and he just he's going like he's just talking like crazy like he's got his shirt off the beginning and the end of the movie uh, that's it's from the same interview that's an incredible interview i'd like to see it uncut yeah because he he delivers a speech but uh he has a good quote here that i think it was shot after the fact um like years later um the, the interviewer asks him, like, did you feel that you wanted to quit? And he, like, without skipping a beat, he's like, how am I going to quit myself? Quit. Yeah. Like, his, yeah, his, but, he snaps at him a little bit, too. He's like, how, how can I quit? Like, yeah, yeah. but just just the way he phrased it, how am I going to quit myself? Yeah. Like, and that that's very telling. It tells you what his attachment to this project was. It's like, this is an expression of me. Like, this me and this this product i'm creating are are one and the same and it does not exist if i don't will it into existence and it's a very determined individual you have to be in order to be a filmmaker especially one that's financing the fucking project yeah <laughs> uh so yeah at this point we are three million dollars over budget <sighs> yeah. and uh, U- united artists uh is in talks with coppola and they agree to front the bill uh, so they give him like an advance of some sort some cash amount i don't know how much um, with the caveat being that if the film does not make make back its budget and then some once it's released, uh, he will have to pay them back like forty million dollars or something. <laughs> it's not good, and that's going to come out of his pocket. Uh, so that's rough. Um, 
And I think this is where we get to the French plantation sequence, which was entirely new for me. Yeah. This is uh, only this is only in Redux, and I haven't even touched that. This this is interesting. Real quick, uh, did you notice the one shot of George Lucas at the uh, at the party at Coppola's estate? I did. He's eating. And <laughs> he's eating. He's eating. He's like, oh, these 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 hors d'oeuvres are just they're just they're just boffo. <laughs> he's up on the porch, like De Niro and everybody else is down the floor, like congregating. He's like, no, 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 the food's up here. I mean, food. he's off to the side eating. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that uh, the wedding at the beginning of uh, the Godfather. And, I mean, and The Godfather, too. The party, like, he's got a band. He's got a band uh, mm-hmm. with a dude, you know, conducting at the at the place. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, it must be a, it must be a thing, uh, like an Italian thing. I don't really know, but that's what I'm assuming. Um, well, when I picture, like I said, when I picture, like, stereotypical Italian living, I think lots of congregations. Like, mm. whether it be going to church or being with your family. Just a lot of people around all the time. Hanging out. Uh, yeah, so, just pe- people, people, <laughs> lots of people. <laughs> um, so yeah, we get to the French, uh, the French scene. So this, this I actually the first time I watched it, I did not like this scene, but going mm. back uh, a couple of times, I really, I really kind of enjoyed this scene. So um, if you're not familiar, if you haven't seen Redux, uh, they are still you know going through the jungle. I mean, by the way, I don't know if we really mentioned this. This whole movie is them just trying to find Colonel Kurtz, the film apocalypse yeah. now. Um, yeah. So this is along their way. They're they're just about there, but they come across this um, this French plantation, and uh, they're they're the people are super nice. They they take him in, and uh, I like this uh, in in the documentary. He's like, I want you. He's like, I need French people. I need real French people for this scene. I don't care if they're actors. Get me actors. If I can't get actors uh, from Hong Kong, if I can't get people, someone, I like, I want real French people. And he's like, and I want. The I need uh, I need uh, white wine chill to this degrees. I need red wine chill to this much. He's like I want food. He wanted it to be legit, and I, I appreciated yeah. how meticulous he was with that. Um, but this scene is is odd. But then again, the movie is as well. But it definitely matches the tone. So this this family is left over from when the French, I believe, uh, were were trying to colonize Vietnam. And oh, they succeeded for a very long time. Yeah, <laughs> um, but this is a family that's been there since then, and this mm-hmm. this is it's just a it's it's an interesting scene to have in a movie. Um, but Willard has this discussion more or less. He asks this French guy, he's like, "Why why are you guys still here?" And the French guy is offended at this. He's like, "This is our this is our home. This is our home now. Like, we're not leaving. This is where we stay now." Um, and he ultimately Coppola was dissatisfied with the uh, how the scene turned out, which I find uh, I'm kind of disappointed that he didn't like this scene because he wanted them to be portrayed as kind of ghosts, like remnants of that French connection with that country. Mm-hmm. And the way it's shot is really cool. Like there's no lighting in there. Like there's no artificial lighting. It's natural light, and it's actually late in the day. So they're having this dinner with the windows open, and it's like eight o'clock at night it seems like the sun's almost down um but there's a french girl there i think you might have caught her caught her yeah. at some point yeah. um but willard ends up uh going to bed with her she gives him some opium oh shit uh, yeah and i think the the french family and then the opium scene were kind of supposed to interconnect like we're, we're talking about french history with this country and then also kind of touching on drugs at the time um 
this is when I think heroin started to become popular, uh, popularized uh, in the United States. Think to Frank Frank Lucas, uh, American gangster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, yeah. I've, which I've seen now. <laughs> and, and I, I, Only recently. Uh, he says, uh, I love the lighting in the scene. That's That was one of my favorite things about this. It was natural light, and it did make them seem kind of like ghosts. And the way it is in the movie, the way it flows, it does seem surreal. Like, it doesn't feel like it's really happening. It's just so odd that they've gone through just a whole bunch of nothing jungle, and then there's this family having a fucking five-course meal just in the jungle somewhere. Like, this is mm-hmm. just really weird. Um, but yeah, Coppola ultimately didn't like it, and it was cut from the original uh, the original film. Yeah, I, I was really surprised too, because um, funny enough, one of, the, one of the things I remember Coppola specifically remarking on in regards to his dissatisfaction with the entirety of the scene was was the lighting. I love the he lighting. He didn't like the way it was lit. And and that's funny to hear from you. Right. Because I, I kind of liked it too. But uh, apparently he was unhappy with it. But then again, remember where he's at in his headspace at the time. Um, maybe maybe he was just in a shitty mood that week or something. And and needed, needed a win that he didn't quite get. So he just said, nope. Like I think he even goes to the extent to like say like pretend it didn't happen. Like we we didn't, we didn't. do that scene. Well, it's also yeah. an interior shot, which I'm not sure where this was at the time of filming. Um, if they I had think got said they actually built a set. They built a set. Okay. Um, I mean, if it's this... a handsomely dressed set. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. He's like, finally, I get an interior shot, like inside a house, and now I can actually work the way I want to. And it's just like I can't. It's just not working for me. Like that. Well, that's unfortunate. Also re- I think uh, I think a lot of the actors they got were maybe amateurs, mm. and maybe that affected things too. Like maybe he was unhappy with the performances to some degree. But I, from what little I saw, because there's only snippets in the documentary, but I I actually liked the concept of the scene. I don't know that I would have cared to have seen Martin Sheen go to bed with a French girl and get high, but that dinner scene was striking. And what was really funny too is that John Milius. Uh, he was happy with it mm. like he was very proud of that scene and i i kind of i'm with him because because i think it's it's an interesting thing to touch on because this was reality yeah like the french probably were still there in some regard and just the the brashness of martin sheen questioning that from the one french gentleman it's like who the fuck are you to to like tell me like you're French. You belong in France. It's like fuck you. My family's been here for like a hundred years. It's like you're it's American. Like, what are you fighting for? He's like, what are you even fighting for? Like, why do and you want to be here? You, you are fighting for the biggest nothing in history. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> damn. Yeah, I, but this... yeah, I, I I like the concept of the scene, especially the um, he makes a point to like dress the set and like do all the the clothing and like the silverware and stuff in such a way that it feels like it's from a different time period yeah because it probably was yeah like the the building they're living in was probably built a long time ago and and these people like you said are are kind of like remnants of of a bygone era yeah and that's why i was i'm just disappointed that he didn't like it i'm like dude it came out perfectly i think it came out really well but you know He's got his. He's got his. Whatever. He's. he's whatever. Uh, so we kind of touch on some of the actors. We should probably touch on the actors a little bit because uh, this is where this is where the documentary starts to get kind of fun. I. I yeah. Um, this is where we talk about the actors, and this is where we very concretely get to the bottom of uh, Coppola's shooting style. 
Mm. Um, uh, so you're more familiar with the actors in this film. Um, yeah. So, so how about you start us off? The main actors, uh, I forget who the ship captain captain is, his chief. Uh, Larry Fishburne is, the, I want to call him Larry because he was Larry at this time. Larry Fishburne, he's the young guy. Um, then we have Chef, who is a saucier from, if you remember uh, from uh, fucking uh, Tropic Thunder when... Uh, what's his face? Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is like, I used to be a saucier down in San Antonio. <laughs> uh, that, that's exactly what this this character is. He was a saucier, and he's like, you know what a saucier is? It's a chef that uh, specializes in sauce. Um, he's still alive. And Sam Bottoms, who plays Lance, who's a surfer, that's who um, uh, Robert Duvall is trying to get him to go surfing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of fun. Um, he plays Lance, and he, this actor is odd. Uh, he actually passed away in 2008, unfortunately. Um, really? But yeah, his he just seems very much like an artist. Like he just he just he's got his like unbuttoned the shirt unbuttoned really low, and the way his uh, the way he's talking to the interviewer is really interesting. Um, he Ooh, sh- he's he's very evasive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> When they ask like him about he's done some shit in his life. <laughs> when they ask him about drugs, he's just like, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 He just he doesn't even down. look. He doesn't even look. Yeah, he's just looking down. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, he's the one that he he talks about the uh, he kept some of the cards from Apocalypse. Now he's like, this is this was what he was saying. He was like, um, getting into the character. Martin Sheen says that he's like, what do you want me to like? How do you want me to play him? And mm-hmm. he's just like, just you, you're him. And uh, I, what's his name? Sam Bottoms actually comments on uh, Martin Sheen saying that he's a very giving actor. He's like the nicest guy, Martin Sheen. He's a sweet mm-hmm. guy. I mean, he's having to get himself into a character who's not a good person and not a nice guy. And uh, mm-hmm. he said, like, looking in, he's like, I think he had a little bit of trouble with that initially, but eventually he gives out a good performance. Um, Absolutely. We have Chef. Uh, can we talk about the um, so hundredth day of shooting? We get uh, roughly around there. We get to the tiger. Yeah. Uh, so this was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> so Coppola hired this guy from I'm guessing Texas because there are more apparently there are more tigers in private captivity in the state of Texas than there are in all the rest of the world. Um, so I'm just assuming that this trainer was from Texas. Uh, so they meet this guy, and he's got scars on his face, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, he's got um, he's got scars on his legs. And I guess his his knees kind of bum because he he's been attacked several times by tigers. Like he's a trainer, and not a very good one apparently. And, apparently, <laughs> and they're gonna get this shot of them going to the jungle. And the the thing is, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna have um, like a pig or a goat on a string and we're going to get the tiger to jump out at him and we're going to like be filming like have it off to the side so you can't see the goat but have the the, the tiger come into frame and the the actors were scared shitless like uh the the guy who plays chef was talking about going into the jungle he's like we were like you see us like inching he's like we're legit terrified because this the, the tiger's not even on a leash apparently like he's just free <laughs> Yeah, he's he's just free. The Didn't t- you you you've been talking to the trainer and seeing how fucked up his face is? <laughs> it, it, it's a pig, and they said no, no, no the fu- it's it's gonna be fine, Francis. He hasn't eaten for a week. They starved a tiger <laughs> for a week. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that makes you feel real safe. Oh. <laughs> 
But yeah, uh, the tiger's name is Gamby, by the way, which Whoa. I think is cute. Gamby the tiger. Um, it's funny because uh, the tiger scene is actually one that I, I remember anticipating when I was when I was really young, mm-hmm. like when the first time I watched this movie. Because I remember my dad talking it up. He said when he saw this movie in the theater, which he was fortunate to have done that. Uh, that's that scared the shit out of him. <laughs> like apparently he and his friends were like, "Oh, it, fuck!" It does. The first time you watch it, it's like, "Oh shit!" Because it doesn't look like there's a tiger back there. And if you were in the jungle just walking through, you were like, "Is there somebody back there? Is it like a pig or something?" Like, oh fuck! It's a <laughs> yeah. It's scary. But yeah, uh, Gamby the tiger. That was that was quite the striking scene, and to hear the background of it was like, oh my god, this is nuts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to the actors for just a sec. Um, like like he said, Sam Bottoms actually did hang on to uh, some note cards that Coppola had drawn up like on the fly, and he reads off like a list of them, and it's it's just like single words on each card. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like utterly incomprehensible to anyone who isn't Coppola. So it says like. Birds, Lance, POVs of Blackbirds, Scenes Unknown. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what? <laughs> the, the birds, they had them... Sh- I, I cut... They had them keep taking these takes of, like, birds in the background. I'm not sure. Yeah, he had, he had like, a fixation on these birds, because he actually... Th- there's some candid footage of him, like, discussing how they're going to do the scene. He's like, okay, we're going to shoot over... Th- we're going to shoot over there, and we're going to try to get the birds. But... But, you know, sometimes we're not going to get the birds, so we'll, we'll keep trying. We'll get the birds. Lance, you get in your position. It's going to be birds. <laughs> it's just like, why? why? You can't control the birds. No, like, they're going to do what they're going to do. Like, like you're just burning film looking for these fucking birds. <laughs> but um, the guy who played Chef, and I'm sorry, I don't know his name. No, uh, that's okay. they cut They cut to him for a second, and <laughs> I wrote it down because I thought it was perfect. He'd say, he'd just show up. You know, yeah. show up. <laughs> like Coppola would just show up. They wouldn't have a fucking shot list, and they'd just be on the boat all day and do stuff. And like the the uh, gentleman who played uh, Chief, the Chief, uh, yeah. Uh, I had to look him up. His name is Albert Hall. He's been uh, in a lot of stuff. He's in Major Pain. Or yeah, he, that's the first thing that popped up was Major Pain. Oh, see, I don't recognize him from anything else. But uh, he has a good interview moment in this documentary where he's he talks about how Coppola was very uh, open to suggestion from his actors Mm -hmm. and there's a good scene of the two of them like in a back office just going back and forth bouncing ideas off each other and talking about character motivations and stuff and you can tell that Coppola is very receptive to it and uh, apparently a lot of these patrol boat scenes which is like you said the majority of the fucking movie is just them on a boat heading towards a destination unknown um a lot of it was just uh, Coppola interviewed all the major actors and said, I want you to tell me where something you want your character to do, and we'll find a way to shoot it. Um, so, like, the, the scene where they, like, pull the fisherman over and and uh, apparently wrongfully shoot all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. I, I seem to remember somebody just snapping and, and shooting them. And it was they, Larry. They somebody made a quick. Them. Somebody made a quick move, and Larry's character just blasts them, yeah. Yeah, apparently that was actually come up with by the actors. Oh, uh, that didn't come from Coppola. Yeah, the actors came up with that scene um, because of uh, the highly publicized uh, My Lai massacre. Um, that was like a pivotal moment in the Vietnam War. Where it was like a 
search and destroy situation where a lot of civilians were killed and it's like one of the darkest moments that was publicized at the time uh, so the actors got together and were like we want to have like an an analog to that like a parallel to that uh, i mean they did the same thing in platoon with burning yeah, down the village that's what so i was thinking of like i said it was it was one of those things that's like for your average viewer of this film that knows anything about the vietnam war at the time that was something that was probably known to them so you want to touch on that um, but yeah, Sam Bottoms did a lot of drugs on set. <laughs> it was no. he, uh, in the movie. Apparently, his character he's he's like, yeah, I dropped the rest of that acid. And they asked him like, were you actually on drugs for that? And he's like, yes. <laughs> like, what, what was it acid? He's like, no, no. Nope. Like, it was a mixture of speed, uh, marijuana, and alcohol. He's like, it was just wild, you know. <laughs> he's just like, it was just a. <laughs> It was his, so, his, his demeanor in that yeah. interview is so puzzling. Where it's like, well, what the fuck did he do? He was <laughs> like, a wor- did he kill a guy? <laughs> I mean, he's a he, at the time of the interview, he's a working actor, and this is twelve years after the film, and that's mm-hmm. I mean, some some people like Jack Nicholson is well known for being a, a big. He's just a big drug guy, but he he's a <laughs> he's got what at least three Oscars, and he and his name he's a huge name, so. It doesn't really matter if people know that he does drugs. That's just that's Jack Nicholson who gives a shit. This guy is a working actor, probably doesn't want you know. He's like, yeah, we were doing drugs, but that's I don't really want to talk about that. But yeah, I mean, you could tell that he was very guarded about it. But yeah. at the same time, like maybe maybe the time was right or something, and he just yeah. he could have said I don't want to talk about that, but no, he he let it out. So yeah. interesting. Yeah, kind of like a confession, like he'd never really discussed it before. I mean that's that's part of the beauty of documentary filmmaking is like you, yeah. The pressure's on when the camera's on it, and sometimes you get some soul bearing that you wouldn't get otherwise, <laughs> like in a normal conversation. Speaking um, of soul bearing, yeah, holy shit, good yeah, transition, good, Kyle. Good transition. <laughs> um, this uh, we're gonna talk about Martin Sheen, a uh, specific scene in the the opening scene in the hotel, which. Uh, this is probably the most fascinating part of the do- like of the documentary for me. Uh, oh yeah, this, this is, is amazing. It, it this was the part I, I think I texted you. I'm like, I want to rewatch this movie now just because of this. Um, so do you want to talk about it a little bit? Go ahead. I've, I'm taking the uh, reins. Mostly. So we've been talking about actors and uh, how Coppola gives them a lot of breathing room, um, and this would be probably the ultimate example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. We mentioned Martin Sheen. He came onto the production a little later than everyone else. He was not in a good headspace. He was feeling old and out of shape, and he was smoking three packs a day, and hadn't yet narrated Gettysburg. And, <laughs> yeah, his career was kind of in the dumps. And Charlie was Charlie's getting all these big roles, and I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so there is a major. <laughs> Emilio's just a fucking baby. He's not making any money. You <laughs> uh, can barely grow a fucking mustache. You're doing him in Spawn, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> he needed that. He needs that fucking beard in every movie and the and the just for men (laughs) uh so there is a major sequence it happens what in the beginning of the movie yeah it's the it's the opening shots of the movie it's the very beginning yeah it's the very beginning of this movie yeah um so still in saigon god there you go uh so martin sheen has this big scene that i think chronologically um was shot about this point the documentary is is yeah where it was shot uh, so this is like Marty Sheen's big moment, and uh, it's the hotel scene. Uh, 
And this is shot on Martin Sheen's 36th birthday. And at the time, uh, I think Eleanor Coppola, who is narrating most of this documentary, by the way, doing a fabulous job. Oh, yeah, excellent. Um, she seems like just a super lady. Yeah. She's like the best wife. She's so supportive of him. Oh, and, so much. And, I, and, a, I, I, and a good documentarian on top of it. I, I forgot to... We didn't even mention that. We should have. I, I wanted to mention that earlier on. She's phenomenal. Like, the, she's... Yeah. You can just see, like, the way she's talking to him. She's very supportive, and she's helping him kind of get to his frustration. Like, why are you angry? And kind of helps him talk through it. Yeah, she's phenomenal. She's great. No, she is She is a presence throughout this entire documentary, and she's just a, apparently just a beautiful human being. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Martin Sheen, though, <laughs> uh, she, she remarks that he was not drinking at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're shooting this scene where he's supposed to be like just wrapped in inner conflict um so this is supposed to be the the lowest point for this character at the beginning of the movie basically and apparently they rolled camera really without any direction mm-hmm. and martin sheen decided i'm gonna have a few drinks yeah uh scratch that a lot of drinks he had <laughs> a ton of drinks and remember he wasn't drinking at the time so his tolerance was probably zero um so yeah, they just roll camera and just have him do shit. Uh, I don't know for how long, but um, what we get to see is just this human spectacle of a man uh, w- with all this negative energy welling within him just being unleashed on camera. And it's it's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think there's um, it, it's an interesting form of therapy because uh, he says yeah, that he absolutely. Was, He's not. He wasn't proud of him. Like he was in a bad place mentally too. Like not physically, but also mentally. He was in kind of a, a bad place, and he he says that he well, he's like kind of he's super drunk. He could barely stand in this in this room, and he ends up like punching at the mirror. But he was, said he was so drunk that he ended up punching the mirror. And I don't know if you've ever. Uh, I know you've never been drunk, but um, alcohol really <laughs> really thins the blood. And I've had just Ooh. a small cut, and it it does not stop it bleeding. Goes. It so just goes. So he wow. has a he's got a nice little nick. Like it it's he's he's bleeding really bad, um, and they were wanting to they're wanting to cut like they're wanting to cut. And Francis Francis wanted to cut, and yeah, um, this was it was interesting. Uh, Martin Sheen was just like no, just keep keep going, and he just has a breakdown. Like I mean, it's a complete drunken stupor. And I mean, alcohol is a depressant, so he's just has this, a massive amount of alcohol, and he seems like he kind of he has like a moment like this, like almost like he's yelling at his father. That that's what I kind of saw it as. Um, he's he's fighting something. Yeah, it's not Coppola. No, it, he's fight. He's grappling with something, and and the camera's running, and it's it's all cut into the film, and it it just works. And yeah. Like the way he phrases it in the interview that was shot like twelve years after the fact is that um, he says that yeah he was the one who was responsible for them continuing to film despite his thumb bleeding profusely and him yeah. like smearing his blood all over himself, which is, creates a really amazing visual by the yeah. way. Um, but at that point, I don't know that it was acting. <laughs> like, he like he, yeah, uh, the way he phrases it is that uh, he he fought Coppola. Like, like, I think, like a bucking bronco or something. Like mm. he, he was grappling with him because you can hear, 
uh, Coppola from behind the camera, like, trying to lead him in the scene, like, trying to direct his energy towards hitting certain beats in the script. And, like, Martin Sheen's just, like, pouting and in tears, like, oh, Fuck Fucker. you! <laughs> yeah. And and like you said, it's he's. I don't think he was consciously resisting Coppola in that. I think he was yelling "fuck you" to something else. Something else. Yeah. It was not known to us, but it really was incredible to watch, especially because the way they, the way they edit it into the documentary is, it's it's like verite kind of shit where it's just like you're a fly on the wall just watching this performance yeah. art <laughs> like or a therapy session like you said um and unfortunately shortly after this 1977 martin sheen has a fucking heart attack yeah. uh he's yeah 36 years old he's been smoking three packs a day for god knows how long uh yeah uh i mean how do you get an amazing voice like that like of course you have to smoke a lot smoking a lot um <laughs> Um, so yeah, he he ends Coppola's up like, reaction to this. Coppola's oh yeah, reaction. yeah. He, <laughs> what guess, the fuck is that? <laughs> well, the, the the problem is is that he so he has a heart attack in his hotel room and he crawls to the he crawls to the street and gets a ride to the hospital and they're like yeah he had a he had a huge heart attack and the doc I guess Coppola talked to the doctor and the doctor's like he's gonna be okay he just needs to he needs to rest for a couple weeks and somebody reported back to the I guess the producers or whatever like reported back maybe to his agency that represents him that he almost died and he's like mm-hmm. he didn't almost fucking die he had a heart attack yes but he needs a couple weeks rest and I guess they're blowing it up blowing it out of proportions over there and he's already well yeah go ahead what what was really interesting about this and this is all delivered I think. We only get one side of the audio, but it's Coppola yelling on the phone at somebody. Yeah. And, like I said, <laughs> what the fuck is that? Yeah. What the fuck is that? <laughs> it's just his reaction at first during during this audio clip um, leads you to believe that maybe Coppola is being petulant, like he's being a brat, that he's, he's not respecting the fact that his actor just nearly died. Um, but over the course of this one-sided conversation, uh, it starts to make sense. It's like his concern at this point is that if this information is escalated in the wrong way and reaches the wrong ears, the studio will rush the production and or cancel it, and he will lose his fucking movie. Yeah, and it's a huge deal. At the very there's there's potential for them to shut down the production, throw him in the editing room, and say, "Give us what you got." And remember, he doesn't even know what this movie is yet. No. <laughs> so for him, the fear is that he will lose his movie if if this reaches the wrong people. So it it made sense at first, though. You're like, wow, like, way to way to disrespect the fact that your leading man just nearly died. It does. It it is framed that way. It seems like that's what he's saying, but no. He's, yeah. He's like, no, I don't have a I don't have a story. He's like, I don't have a movie, and I'm done. He's <laughs> like, not only is this am I in the hole for money i'm never gonna work again like it's it's exactly pretty big no his, his fears are genuine and understandable yeah. um, and at this point uh <laughs> they just shoot some stuff like while martin sheen is in recovery they yeah. just go out and shoot stuff they shoot a lot of a lot of wide shots uh with stand-ins uh shooting him from behind yeah um but uh, with through interviews with all the actors we 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 learned that uh it was pretty obvious we were just shooting stuff for the sake of shooting it at this point. 
uh, because the the structure of the production schedule it was like we we're not going to get anything meaningful done if Martin's not on set. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was a dark time for the production. Uh, and then they bring back John Milius. <laughs> I was like so fucking happy. Um, he he has this great little anecdote about uh, Vaughn, somebody other, some someone or other, someone I should know. It's a it's a German fellow that I'm sh- I think was high up in the German military during World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, but he compares himself coming back to the production to this this Vaughn, someone or other. Oh, he was supposed to Hitler. Yeah, he's supposed to talk Hitler and, down. Yeah, yeah. And he ends up leaving. <laughs> He's supposed to go in there and like talk Coppola down and like get things back on track or whatever. And instead, he ends up leaving the room and he's like, "We can win. We don't need gasoline." <laughs> this is gonna be the greatest movie ever made. Yeah, I want to yeah. know what he said to him in that. I, I wanna, know. I want to. I want to be a fly on the wall in that meeting. Like, what did he do? Yeah. Well, I um, mean, like, he's you, right, you need though, to see that. You need to see that John Milius documentary because he is another very fascinating person. Um, so we are now in 1977, Ooh. five weeks without Martin, and now he's back. Uh, and, uh, yeah. I think this is where we get to the, the climax of the film at the the Kurtz compound. Yes, we are approaching the Kurtz compound. The Kurtz compound. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, we um, so we've employed an actual tribe in this movie. Now I'm going to say at the top real quick. Um, this was shot in the Philippines again. Um, mm-hmm. The we see some very very graphic um, animal slaughter in this film, and I remember yeah, cannibal Holocaust shit. I remember watching this for the first time, and the climax sequence of this film is uh, a cow being butchered uh, simultaneously. While uh, Colonel Kurtz is being killed, uh, I remember watching this and being like, "That was real." Like I've seen mm-hmm. fake shit before, like in movies, and like that just happened. And it, mm-hmm. it they, we don't do that in movies anymore. Uh, I no, no, we can't do that in movies anymore. I'm sure there's other there's other scenes in films where we've seen animals die on screen, but I can't name a single one. Like besides this, where we actually are watching an animal slaughtered in a major motion picture, not just killed, slaughtered. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah. With with uh, like animal rights and uh, humanitarian, the groups around the world now firmly established. Uh, this is not something you can do in, a, especially in a Hollywood movie anymore. No. Maybe other parts of the world, but Hollywood doesn't do this anymore. No. Um, in fact, this in- isn't really Hollywood. This, this even even at the time, this could have been a loophole because this is almost um, kind of like a National Geographic dra- graphic, like anthropology. Like this isn't a performance. This is an observation. Yeah, uh, yeah. technically. Um, I mean, it was still it was still approved of by the MPAA, um, which I'm sure has veto power when it comes to stuff like that. But I don't actually don't know what the situation would be for an indie production and having like animal rights groups on actively on set for scenes like this. Um, Cultural appropriation. Then, sorry, then, the then again, like you said, this this is it is like this an is anthropological types. Yeah, is, this I mean, is observation. this is a ritual. This, this is a ritual that Eleanor Eleanor Coppola actually witnesses independent of the movie. That this tribe just does this. So this wasn't something for the film. This was just a thing that these people do. 
um, they employed this actual tribe, and they actually employ this tribe right at the time of like their I, the equivalent of their like Thanksgiving feast, basically. And mm-hmm. uh, they're watching the ritual, and it, and Coppola's wife um, comes in and is like, "Hey, you might want to come see this. Like, this is pretty incredible. What's happening? This made me want to go vegetarian. Honestly, I've never seen. Uh, I I remember seeing the cow die. I'm like, that's rough. Watching pigs get killed." In real time, yeah, it's fucking horrifying. Like, it, it, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It made me I'm like, <laughs> it, uh, it's rough. It's rough. I don't want to. I don't want to eat pig anymore after that. But um, <laughs> I'm like, but they. It's an interesting shot. Like they're all just watching, and they're actually shots of the actors watching. Like Dennis Hopper is watching this, and he doesn't even like. He doesn't even skip a beat. He's just like sitting there watching it. Like, hope. Oh, f- I think he was just high this whole time. That's the only thing. Dennis I can- Hopper. Dennis Hopper is amazing in this documentary like he is so big. i get the sense i get the sense he is like a really annoying fucking actor to work yeah. with that's what i was saying between hopper and coppola i think oh uh, fuck hopper and brando i think that he was like well the shots were a nightmare but you two motherfuckers you two be the death of me you two chuckleheads. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like this is where he would, like, this is the moment that he would want to throw that weight around and be like, listen, motherfucker, I don't have time for this shit. I've got- I mean, especially with Dennis Hopper. Fuck. He, he's just like, he's... Well, this I, off of I easy met ro- people like, with... Yeah. I mean, he, he is, I believe, a director. I think he was directing films on his own at this time. So I think a lot of times you get that conflict between uh directors and actors when yeah said actor also happens to be a director because there's conflict of vision yeah where it's like they're, they're two very strong personalities that you know that a person with directorial instincts is going to have a vision in their mind that they want to enforce but it's not your project Hey you man, put that I, in check. I'm an indie <laughs> director, man. I know how to get into the mind, man. Just tell me what I need to do. Yeah, maybe that's. I what learned how to ride a fucking motorcycle, man. <laughs> and that's probably where they connected, honestly, because Easy Rider was what at Con. It was the independent. It was the best film of the year, I think, and it was independent. Like it was, uh, it was a huge deal. So they probably hit it off. Like, oh yeah, indie man. It's the fucking best. It's art, man. It's it's great. Um, but Dennis Hopper, he's a fantastic actor and also a good writer-director as well, as far as I understand. But uh, just his demeanor on set was yeah. just... I don't know if he was doing some, like... Drugs. I'm like, telling you, method like... Method shit. Yeah. I yeah, think it was I'm sure drugs. it was a lot of drugs, but he's just like, shut the fuck up! Just, <laughs> like, the, his conversation, he's like, he didn't learn his lines, apparently. And I'm like... I'm watching Dennis Hopper, like, his body language and shit. I'm like, either he's gone method or he's just he's just smoked a ton of pot. Like, he's just not, he's not focusing, well, not taking he's it doing seriously. Some, like, he's doing some weird, like, passive-aggressive type shit where you, the words he's saying are venomous, but he's laughing over them, so it, like, lessens the blow. But I think he and Coppola actually, like, seriously butted heads over stuff. Where, mm. Like, oh, yeah. their demeanors are so so opposite where Coppola is like trying to keep things professional <clears throat> and try for once like trying to enforce a vision like onto this performance whereas yes. Hopper is like super flip and just like loose loosey goosey and doesn't like you said doesn't really bother to learn his fucking lines and is constantly constantly pestering Coppola about like his character's motivation from shot to shot from scene to scene 
because he's looking for he's looking for direction he's mm. looking for consistency but he's asking for it from a guy who doesn't do that <laughs> no he he gives direction but he's like you develop your character you develop yeah, how you want to do it and then i'm gonna tell you what your motivations are i think that's what it is and they're they're kind of at at this impasse where it's like they're they both need something from the other person but they're both ill-equipped to provide it yeah. <laughs> so it's just a horrible mix of personalities so apparently these actors were in uh these little boxes and there was just their heads above ground with like some some makeup on and they were in these hot ass boxes for eight hours without getting yeah. out that's yeah. fucking nuts they had like uh hairspray bottles to keep them hydrated <laughs> um, what I wrote down was 38 takes, and Francis was never happy with the severed heads. Nope. Like even even by the time they did those eight hours, he he was never happy with how they looked. Uh, that's a really small part of the film, right? It's very minor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it's but when they apparently he it, dumped all that time into that. <laughs> it's an important part of the film because you're supposed to set the tone for Kurtz because this is yeah. when they get to the tribe that Kurtz is a part of. And when they get there, there's, like, a dude hanging naked, dead from a tree, and you get up to this tribe, and then there's heads, just, uh, like, white dudes' heads. Or, actually, it's, yeah, I think I think it's, like, American soldiers' heads and some, um, probably, uh, warring tribe heads on mm-hmm. these stairs. And, like, yeah, you need to set the tone and kind of get a sense of dread. And I guess if you're not capturing it well with the human heads, why didn't they have the, uh, the prosthetics like get the get the practical like get a d- nice dummy head i mean ridley scott hadn't mm. done uh alien covenant yet but uh, <laughs> the best head in cinema history apparently hands down um it may have been a logistical concern because uh, in that kind of humidity uh, i'd imagine like rubber and prosthetics and stuff don't last very long and they probably that. like bloat, bloat or chafe in the sun and the heat. Or you got to um, call and the guy. And also, to, yeah. and you're in the Philippines. So, so you gotta, how, are you, how are you going to get the head manufactured and shipped to you? You got to. Because you want That's a lot of shit you need to worry yeah. about. Like you got to fly the guy in. He's got to have all of his equipment. That costs a shit ton of money. Yeah. Hmm. It's that makes just sense. not worth the expense. It's better to just build boxes and have people stand at them. <laughs> um, so we are now at the 200th day of shooting. Enter Brando. Um, he is now on the set. So yeah, Marlon and, uh, Brando's here. <laughs> so yeah, uh, his introduction to the documentary prop- proper is uh, comes in the form of a reading from uh, Orson Welles' take on a uh, Heart of Darkness. So this would be a- lines directly from the text, I believe. And uh, it's a graphic description of Kurtz and uh, his gaunt figure. <laughs> He's described as being skeletal. And then we see Marlon Brando on the and set. <laughs> he has been eating cheese. Uh, only cheese. Yeah, he is fat as fuck. Uh, he's not uh, He's not as fat as he was in, um, oh, I think this Island is Island prob- of Dr. Moreau? Yeah, I think this or is. Or the score? I don't remember when that uh, that French or Italian movie, we, the butter incident, I don't know how long ago that was compared to this film. I think it was earlier. Um, but he was fat as fuck there. Uh, he still had hair in there too, um, but yeah. Now, if you've never seen Marlon Brando, um, skinny and young, 
Holy crap, is he handsome. Yeah. Look it up. Oh Look my it up. goodness. A sight to see. Yeah. It, it take, was, take it in. <laughs> and we one thing, just a little background about Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando is a garbage human being. Uh, he's no Steven Seagal. <laughs> he's no Steven Seagal, but this is a man who, like I said, he is insanely handsome, insanely talented, and knew what his, he's a man who knew what he was worth. And mm-hmm. he knew what he could get away with, get away with, and honestly, I think that he reached a point. Of, of what I've seen in the documentaries, he just kind of he didn't really want to want to do movies anymore. I think that he had like a nice little power. He had like a little power thing. Uh, he liked to play with directors, and you can see it here, I believe, because he didn't learn his lines. Uh, mm-hmm. He didn't read Heart of Darkness, which. I get if you don't want to read Heart of Darkness and you want to do your own take on the character, that's fine. But he didn't even learn his lines. He wasn't doing that. He was just like, nah, I don't really want to do it. And then he's really uncooperative with Coppola <laughs> trying to get these scenes. Yeah, uh, seeing seeing this and then reading about uh, his situation with the Superman films where mm-hmm. he wanted to portray a floating suitcase. Correct. Um, Island of Dr. Then, Moreau. And Island of Dr. Moreau, you, I think you're right. I think you're... I think you hit the nail on the head. He, I think this was a game for him. Where he's just like, I know what I'm worth, and I just want to fuck with you. <laughs> because it's fun. <laughs> he's like, I'll turn out a performance, but I'm going to make I'm gonna make you sweat a little bit. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, will, I will turn out a performance. I have enough pride that I won't... I won't make myself look bad outright, but... I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to give you what you want, but you're going to get something. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get uh, something. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get something, and you're not going to you're not going to steer me otherwise. But, but uh, we're in agreement, though. This is a good performance. I think so. Okay, thank I you. believe so. Yeah. No, I, I'm happy with it. But uh, what's interesting here is uh, we we see some fo- like just candid footage of Brando just fucking around on the set, just like. Yeah wandering the set and like playing with rocks and like talking to the the, the kids and stuff and just being a weirdo yeah <laughs> just being utterly aloof and i love that martin sheen is consistently just like squatting next to him not yeah. and they're not acknowledging each other's presence they're supposed to be having like actors meetings where it's like the director and the two actors in this key scene in the movie like they're supposed to be having a conference and every time brando is talking directly to Coppola and Martin Sheen's just kind of like squatting next to them not yeah. paying attention <laughs> it's pretty great like I I get the sense that maybe Martin Sheen was checked out or he's just like this fucking guy <laughs> I think he has the patience of a saint that's what I took it as because Mar- Martin Sheen's doing the same thing with Dennis Hopper like mm-hmm. a uh, like a hothead would have been like this guy doesn't know what he's like in Tropic Thunder he's just like oh yeah. come on you're gonna cry like trying to get him to cry he's like this guy doesn't know how to do it and I think mm-hmm. maybe that's part of it too. I think maybe Brando likes to get a rise out of other actors and see what they're gonna do. Like, is this like I'm gonna really like push the director and try to see what I can get away with, and I'm gonna see if I can get a rise out of this guy because I feel like he's gonna he's gonna well, pop act- here in a minute. Actors and- are peculiar folks, and like I said, Orson Welles, he he had that I'm gonna fuck with you kind of instinct too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's a also, fat guy thing. I don't know. Maybe it is <laughs> a fat, a fat guy. guy thing. <laughs> um, well, 
guy who wasn't always fat turns into fat guy thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, because um, Orson Welles wasn't a fat guy before. He was, I mean... He, just, he, always, he always had a fat head, but big bone. his body he was just, wasn't fat. He was just big yeah, bone. Yeah, he was big bone. Yeah. He hadn't he fallen was, off the wagon. Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting here, though, is that uh, Brando shows up. He's overweight. Um, he didn't read the fucking book. Um, <laughs> um, and Coppola, Brando's overweight for the character. <laughs> he's overweight in real life, but he's also overweight yeah. for the character. <laughs> But Coppola's reaction to this was kind of interesting because he he verbalizes at one point that uh, he's trying to spin ideas of how to make this work because I mean he's he's determined yeah. he's going to make this he's going to make and this he, movie and he did yeah he's going to make this movie no matter what and he starts spinning the character like he's he's like okay I have the script but maybe we can tweak it last second here um, how about uh, we reinterpret Kurtz and have him be a hedonist. Where it's like he has a girl on each arm. Yeah. He has like, he has like lavish like like feasts laid out before him. He's a he's an a indulgent glutton. personality. Yeah. yeah. He's a glutton. Um, however, this gets vetoed by Brando because he's too vain. Uh, he does not want to be portrayed on camera in such a way. It's like fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that would have made sense, but I guess we're not doing that. Well, they also mentioned he was kind of shy about his weight. I think he's like oh, he was. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it makes sense, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you just threw my perfectly serviceable idea right out the window because you don't want to be shown to be a fat guy. Um, so at this point, like, actual days go by. And remember, we're on the clock. Marlon Brando is here for three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. Three million dollars. And we cannot go over this three weeks. Um, so we have him for exactly three weeks, and several days go by without any filming he's just on the set and we're just talking we're just trying to figure out the logistics of how to make the scene work because the guy didn't read the fucking book he doesn't know his character and he probably doesn't know the script either (laughs) uh so coppola is he's starting to freak out a bit just a little bit and at this point like i think he even remarks that He's afraid to put Dennis Hopper in the room with Brando <laughs> because, because of because of what might result with these two personalities clashing with one another. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that being a problem. Well, um, didn't Val Kil- Val Kilmer and uh, Marlon Brando didn't talk? Like they, I think he may have said one thing to him, and it wasn't even mm-hmm. barely acknowledging him. I think it was like when they first arrived on the set together, and then yeah, they just kept their distance. Mm. Um, yeah, personalities, man. You you got to manage them. But uh, so the he way we to. solve this, yeah, <laughs> the way we solve this riddle is Francis goes back to his his home. He goes back to his safe place, and he decides to have Martin Sheen and Marlon Brando improvise for three weeks. Let's just do this scene every day for the next three weeks without without a script. And uh, what ended up in the movie came from the from these endless sessions of redoing the scene over and over and over again it's kind of kind of a bold way to go about it i mean it's shoot from the hip approach i guess you're bound to hit something uh (laughs) i mean oh if you spend that many hours and that many days and that many weeks doing something uh you're bound to get something decent i guess (laughs) maybe not comprehensible but you're bound to get something interesting um can we talk about the uh, the actual scenes themselves? Um, I love the way Marlon Brando is introduced into the film. Uh, I know you 
you were talking about the shadows. I love the use of shadows with his character. Um, it may have been to keep the fatness out. I'm not entirely sure what the, what the purpose was. That that, uh, that Luke Skywalker Return of the Jedi shot with the, the, the half the slice of light on half his face. That's beautiful. I love it. That really is striking. And his and you were talking about his hands, but I love how like his demeanor when he when he like you don't even know he's there at first and he just starts talking to uh, Martin Sheen and he's like he's like washing his head and it, the way he does his hand over his head, he just kind of I'm telling you man, like <clears throat> when it comes to acting performances uh, in the past 10 years or so, I've really keyed in on hand acting. And yeah, he this does incredible. good hand acting. Yeah, like when he wipes the sweat off his head and squeezes it. He reminds me so like, much of my grandpa, because my grandpa was a burly guy, and he had these... Like, he wasn't very tall. He was like an inch or two taller than me. But his fingers were uh, like twice as big as mine, just all around. He had these giant hands and these giant sausage fingers. and uh, <laughs> Banana hands. Just, like, they were just... He just had just crazy, like like thick hands and like uh mm-hmm. he was just a he was a bald guy too so the one specific scene where uh they he gets chef uh, he ends up killing chef and he's kind of standing over him in the rain i'm like god damn he looks just like my grandpa because my grandpa also kind of like the flared nostrils like uh marlon brando and the squinty eyes mm-hmm. um but yeah i i like the way they use i like the use of shadows uh for his character um and it's kind of weird the way it play, it plays out in the film. Like he's just kind of his prisoner, and then he kind of just lets him go, or he escapes, and almost like he lets him kill him. It's it it, it it's a weird way to end the movie, um, but yeah, I guess back to the production. Um, um, well, I mean, let's let's touch on that a bit more. Um, I don't know if this also came from John Milius, but. It is a little bit reminiscent of the relationship between uh, Thulsa Doom and Conan, uh, where it's you have this this powerful person who's who's uh, created like a cult for himself, uh, and then our hero escapes and then returns and then kills him. Um, it could just be a repetition on the writer's part, and also like as far as I understand, Kurtz has maybe a little bit of like a nihilistic view on society and hum- humanity in general. Uh, so the notion of him, be, like treating his this prisoner as just like an insect, like just like I'm only acknowledging you because like it feels right in the moment. Like <laughs> it's like you actually don't matter to me. What what matters is what I've built and and the space I'm occupying now. Like what I'm doing now. Like the here and now is all that matters. Um, and also the, the the filming of the scene uh, in the documentary. This is where we get to what I mentioned a long time ago uh, about how Brando's kind of portrayed in a negative light. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, is all the negative comments about him as a person, but then we get like unflattering clips of him of his performances, like candid footage that didn't end up in the movie, where it's it's that light close up, like the the slice of light close up, and. I swallowed a bug. <laughs> and then there's a scene where you hear a, I swallowed a bug. Um, you get a, a bird. There's a bird. Of, oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. There's a bird. There's a, My there's friend. a bird. My friend, he's mocking me. <laughs> um, and then you get Coppola from off camera saying, you can move. Like, what? <laughs> what? There's a lot of what? <laughs> huh? <laughs> 
You can get up now. What? No, I'm a basketball player. I like short shorts. Like they short are comfortable. Shorts, but they are revealing. Um, uh. um, but then there's a there's a part where he uh, he tells him he can move, and he says what? And then he gets up and he starts walking, and they do a tracking shot, and he walks off to a, like a doorway, and he pauses for a second. Like, I can't think of any more dialogue to say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's shit that actually does happen on the set for any actor, but to put it in the documentary, it, it's comical. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, they um, they shoot this final scene, um, like, we were cutting back and forth between this, this tribal um, celebration. I guess it was like an all-day thing, I don't know if this is happening the same day, um, them slaughtering the cow in the evening, but um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'll just assume it is, but... Um, they shoot that, and that's spliced with the the final footage. I did like how they added, like they kept in. Um, you can you can see Brando still committing to physical acting here. Like uh, I appreciated that. He's like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm just gonna sit the whole time. Like, no, no, no. Like we're actually gonna have you, have Martin Sheen like striking whack you. you with, yeah, whack you. Yeah. Um, I appreciated that. It's fat. The reason why I think that Marlon Brando's a piece of shit is that he shoved butter up a young girl's butt without her knowing on film at the request of the director didn't let mm. she didn't know i'm sorry he's not a good person <laughs> that's not no, that's he, not a cool thing to do it's known at this point he he was not a good person no fantastic actor but um yeah what <laughs> not a good guy um so eleanor coppola remarks at this point that uh i think I think Francis had, like, a, a panic attack of some sort. Uh, he fainted, and, like, I guess the pressure got to him at some point. And she she actually, like, admired him for that. It's like that he could get to that point, that he could be so impassioned to the point that he he could have that reaction to something. It's like to, to see a person so invested in a task that they could, like, have a physiological response to it. Um and then we we get a quote from Coppola that I again he talks so fucking fast uh, I couldn't write the whole thing down but uh, he remarks that nothing is so terrible as a pretentious movie yeah and uh, he he's a good interview I need, I need it needs to be said he he's interesting to listen to I'd like to see more yeah um, he he rambles about the notion of life and death and rebirth and how it applies to his experience in filmmaking and. I think this is all from that shirtless interview where he's sitting in his director's chair that that opens the film essentially. And yeah. I, like I said, I need to see this whole interview because it's amazing. Um, it's then, like it looks like it's during production because he's skinny. With, it is. Yeah. And he's yeah. Just it definitely off. is. Yeah. And he has a lot of amazing fucking quotes in there. But uh, cut to two point five years later. Uh, so. I don't know how rough the edit was for this movie. Like, if it was a, if that was a task unto itself. Like, like I said, we don't actually cover that in the documentary. But um, premiere in 1979, and uh, our uh, our closing slides inform us that hey, this movie made about 150 million dollars, so it did not flop at all. It did quite well. So yeah, very well. Thankfully, Mr. Francis got to keep his house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he got to keep um, his house and his career. Yeah, and then Sophia got to do some stuff, and I think a couple of them. Fine. I think a couple of the kids are directed stuff. I wouldn't be surprised, but I only know of Sophia's work. I don't know the other ones. 
but he has like three or four kids. Yeah, he's got a few. Uh, uh, um, so our closing remarks, though, um, you said this resonated with you. It's it was about good. Yeah, the future it, of filmmaking. You want to give us yeah, a? I didn't. I didn't keep in that. So, because his quote isn't eloquent, uh, but it is. <laughs> it has an impact. Uh, he says he's like the. This movie, he's like, this took so much time and money and equipment to to film. And he's like, and as the technology progresses, we're going to have equipment available so that some little fat girl in Wisconsin can make the best film, the best new independent film of the the of the um, of the year. And he's like, and that's he's like, basically access to equipment and the development of technology and uh, with this equipment is going to bring filmmaking back to being an art back to an art form and uh it was yeah the it was really it was really nice to hear like somebody like a a big name director be like this is what like everybody just people who are don't even have film degrees or people who don't have the money to make good films are going to make good films and keep keep the art of filmmaking alive uh Mm -hmm. and it was a nice it was a nice ending and uh i feel like for this interview he was trying to get out of it a little bit like he didn't like his interview a couple of his interviews it seemed like he was just ready to kind of wrap it up a little bit like he was talking like yeah come on come on let's i got things to do um he's like i don't really want to talk about apocalypse now okay it was i'm still got ptsd over it like i'm still (laughs) i'm still having nightmares like it was vietnam i wonder if he still has nightmares because that was something that we forgot to mention throughout the film is that he's having dreams like he's having oh yeah yeah some dreams nightmares just throughout the production about the film i wouldn't be surprised if he just wakes up and says but brando didn't oh oh shit (laughs) Didn't read the fucking book. Didn't read the fucking book. <laughs> Dennis Hopper, ask your questions. So yeah. many questions. <laughs> I had a dream the other night that Brando got a hold of Dennis Hopper and he ended up ripping his throat out. And I was gonna, they were gonna crucify me. and I wasn't gonna get my movie. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's that's a nightmare. <laughs> you made the movie already. Go back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I I did like his closing remarks. Um. And it, it speaks to his his views on filmmaking in general. That I mean, this this movie was an indie production. It paid for with his own money, outside the studio system, and it's it's kind of amazing that he he got it done. I mean, it, the, <laughs> shit. I to 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 be so bold as to front the bill for this this thing and to stick with it that whole time. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like that's that's like a. A sentiment that a lot of filmmakers have at some point in their career, but most of them lose sight of at some point, where it's like, you know, you, you should make films for you. Because I, I forget the exact quote, but he actually does say a few times in this documentary that, like, this this film is, is like an expression of me. Like, this is something that's within me that needs to get out somehow. And if I don't do it, then I'm betraying myself. And... Too often, like these these famous directors and stuff, end up you know doing Michael Bay shit, where it's like just paying the bills. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. taking someone else's toy box and their money and just giving them what they want. Well, I would and say getting rich for it. I'd say James Cameron would be a good. Uh, I think he would be a good <clears throat> representative of that. I'm like Terminator was his script. And that was his baby. He's like, I wrote the script, and he's like, and I want to direct it. That was his, that was his thing. But then you know you get the Abyss, and then Titanic, and then Avatar. Uh, I can't remember which came for Aliens. I can't remember where Aliens uh, racks and all of this. Aliens, but. 
Aliens fell between uh, Terminator One and Two. Yeah, there you go. Um, um, but now James he's doing Cameron, these stupid fucking Avatar movies. Well, I disagree, kind of wholeheartedly, actually. Because okay. if I remember right, um, James Cameron writes almost all of his movies. Like he 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 wrote Aliens, I think. I think he wrote Terminator. I think he wrote Avatar. Like these these are his movies, mm-hmm. like through and through. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't know what his deal is with Avatar. Um, uh, yeah, that's like why he, I think he's like yeah no 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 it it made a whole bunch of money it sucked but it made a whole bunch of money. I, I don't visual. know he there's I think he's attached to it but I don't know that anyone else is. <laughs> um, but I don't think that it's a cynical production. Like I don't think he's doing it for the money. I think it's. I think it's something that's important to him. Do you know what his net worth level. is, Trevor? Have you taken a look at James Cameron's net worth? <laughs> no, I, I haven't. <laughs> He's worth about $700 million. Yeah, I mean, sure. That's a lot of money. I mean, Spielberg that's, that's, is... That's, I, that's a lot of money. Is Spielberg a billionaire by now? Because I feel like he should be a billionaire by now. He <laughs> should pretty be. pretty close. I mean, he, I mean, he's a fucking knight. I mean, <laughs> he's a Sir Steven Spielberg. Um, but yeah... Uh, I'm really glad you had me watch this because you you told me about it a long time ago. Never watched it, and now that I have, it's like, man, I might have to put it on my shelf because, like, these movies about making movies that we're going to be covering this whole month, uh, they're they're like my source of inspiration. Like when I'm I'm in like work mode and I feel like inspired to chew on something for a long time, uh, it's like that's what I put on in the background is stuff like this. Like Ed Wood is like at several points in my life has just been on repeat in the background in, in my room and I could see myself doing that with this movie. It's definitely rewatchable. That's 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 100% true. You'll end up rewatching it again. I, I think no I doubt. will. Um, so I believe next week um, we're probably going to be tackling these in chronological order this month um, just in order of release. So yeah. This one, Hearts of Darkness uh, A Filmmaker's Apocalypse came out in 1991. Uh, it was directed by a couple of people but i think the biggest name was fax bar um in the end credits uh next week uh, we'll be tackling american movie yeah i watched the trailer um, for that that guy's accent's making my head spin that's gonna be fun oh it it's i it's delightful um, <laughs> it's like i can't take it seriously at all just because of the accent but uh it's directed by chris smith and it came out in what 1999 it's about filmmaker Mark Borchardt, who, if you ask me, seems like he has some degree of talent. Um, but uh, in viewing the film, you will see um, what what that degree actually is. <laughs> 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 um, so I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about that. Um, anyway, uh, thanks for joining us as we caught up on cinema. Yeah. Uh, catch you later. Later. <laughs>